And I said, okay, Bill, let's talk about this for a second. I said, uh, the kitchen's, tr- well, it is trash and we could say this because I mean, it was a hoarder house. It was mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. piled everywhere. I'm like, I'm like, so, so let's talk about this. You, you know, the, we have to redo the kitchen, right? And he's like, oh yeah. I'm saying, how much is that? And he tells me, and it's pretty close to what a kitchen would cost. I said, okay, what else are we going to have to do? He goes, well, that bathroom is just disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, it's very disgusting. I mean, the, the shower looked like a coal miner had taken showers. And <laughs> the, the bottom of the, the tub was just black. It uh-huh. was disgusting, right? And I'm like, how much, how much for that bathroom bill? And I just started going through every little yeah. everything and let him tell me the price. I don't care. And then when we got done, I'm saying, okay, so we're, we've hit about 65 grand on the renovations, right? He's like, yep. I said... And this guy wants 160 for it. Yep. And I said, and it's only going to be worth 205 when we get done. Tell me how I'm going to pay this guy 160 for it. And he's like, wow. Welcome to Rio Radio episode. Welcome to Rio Radio episode 94 with Lance White, straight out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeehaw. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> That's how Denlos hears us. You understand that? I know. Giddy up, giddy up, horsey, giddy up. <laughs> You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. Oh my God, that was great. You know what's funny? Uh, and you've told us this, Denless, is you, you find speaking like an American exhausting. Why is that? What, what is it that we do with our words that is not as easy? You pronounce, you pronounce your letters uh, like, like you really stress on your R's and you don't stress on your T's, which is weird. Um, and then like, the A Ys you actually have that, like clay, instead of clay, you know, like clay. Yeah, you know, it's like, but I understand it's A Y S A, so it it you know like you say the A, you say clay, or you say rubber, instead of rubber, like you know, rubber. Yeah, because yeah, how do you know if it's a robber or a rubber? <laughs> did, did we have this conversation, did we have this conversation earlier? I'm like, did he just say uh, was it drugged or something? No, he's he was no, talking. Was, he said was, clay, but it sounded like he said clear earlier. I thought he said something about it being he was saying drugged, and we thought something was like dr- drugged. No, but I was okay. So uh, yeah, butter. Like, yeah. Uh, how do you say butter? Butter, butter. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a good example. So, and we when there's two T's together, we usually say like we they they sound like D's, butter. But not, that's not even not real. Butter because water is water, and that has one T. So water. It, I think it just has to do with T E R. If there's anything with T E R, then you all just say der instead of ter. Der. <laughs> that's how he hears Americans. Der. Yeah. So oh, when yeah. you say my name, are you like Ted, and then it's, but I say Ted. I say Ted. Okay, and I say Owen. I, I and I and I say Colin, but I don't say like Tanner. Who, who's I say who, Tana. Who's calling in? <laughs> who's calling in? Right, <laughs> <laughs> Colin's calling. But I don't say Tanner. I say Tana. Tana. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was today's uh, <laughs> lesson in Trinidadian <laughs> lingo. 
<laughs> you always need Thank good you. lesson in Trinidadian lingo. I agree. Yeah, because when you go to Trinidad, people are going to talk just like me. They're not going to be like, welcome, American. <laughs> <laughs> you know, foreigner. They're not going to say foreigner. They're going to be like, what's up, bro? Or they're going to be like, what's the scene? You know, like. Where's the scene? That's a thing. Okay. I scene? can't wait till we go do some remote uh, podcasts from Trinidad. Yeah. I'll be like, I'm here to be Lyman. <laughs> How are they going to look at <laughs> Is, That'd be funny is, as shit. Is there some is there some good people we could interview in Trinidad on the on the real estate side so we can go I, there and knock out a few episodes? I actually one of my one of my mentors um from back home is somebody I think we could we could um we could interview if we ever go back or if I ever go back, I could probably do a real radio interview with him. Yes. That'd be really cool because he is actually like I remember I was talking to him and he was saying, Dennis, I'm rich. But I'm asset rich. I'm not cash rich. So like, I can't just give you money <laughs> because everything is tied up in assets. You know, I get money just like up here. Like, you know, people are asset rich, but they're not like cash rich all the time. So. Right. Does he, does, does, he real estate does he walk around like, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he does drive. <laughs> what the hell? But he does drive a very nice Porsche. So there we go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, I think we should start a GoFundMe page to get us all three of us to Trinidad. Uh, Real Radio fans, would you like that? Let us know. Or if you're a sponsor and you like to sponsor oh. that, those episodes, let us know. Oh, but that's even right. even now, if you want, Ted will hold up that very nice cap that's on the on the table. Oh yeah, there. so people can see us on video. So, you know, because yeah. Oh, here we go. One free Rio Radio cap. If we are all three transported to Trinidad, where we can do a podcast, and there, I feel it's a fair trade. It is because I mean, each one of these caps was about thirty-two dollars uh, produced. Yeah, so, and there's some gold leaf inside yeah, here. Yeah, and maybe, and we can even have a non-used one, or we all can individually wear the hats. Oh, and sign them, and and you can have our scent on the hats. That's <laughs> super gross, but yes, we will offer that. <clears throat> Listener I'm, demand. I know. Uh, and Don't a, tell us. And a um, Willy Wonka golden ticket for the <laughs> chocolate. Willy Wonka golden nugget. Oh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What's your Willy Wonka golden nugget today, Owen? Today's golden nugget is brought to you by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob, JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital, smart solutions for the real estate investor. Today's Willy Wonka golden Golden nugget is (laughs) small town banks. I feel like we've talked about this a bit. Um, And our last guest reminded me that how easy small town banks are to work with, especially if you're doing investing in the community where the bank is located or around it. And you're uh, like, that's how I got started. I maxed out the amount of money I could borrow from my small town bank, Malvern Bank, shout out. Um, And uh, they have generally a legal lending limit that they're only able to go up to a certain amount per borrower. It doesn't matter if you're, you're in a multiple LLCs, it's still you if you're involved. But a lot of times they'll do loans that other banks can't or won't. So they want to see, you know, XYZ house on Main Street get improved. Maybe they're they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. A lot of a lot of small town banks are like that. They want to be at the forefront of funding deals that make the community better. And uh, that's how I got started. I know Clint Bartlett, uh, excuse me, Clint Blackburn 
has used that uh, much to his benefit and the and the surrounding towns in that area. So small town banks today's golden nugget. Golden nugget. That's funny because I was just listening to a podcast recently where um, and don't quote me on these numbers because I don't have the article. But there is some new laws coming down the pipeline where I believe banks have to have holdings of it's either 20 or 30 percent greater income uh, to cover for the shortfall. Cash reserves. Cash reserves for the shortfalls, which will uh, limit the amount of money that can be lent out. And it'll kind of limit the decisions that the banks can make because they can't they can't lend out as much money uh, just to protect the consumers a little bit more. Have you heard anything about this? No, actually. And. That kind of surprises me that I that I haven't heard this, but it's not surprising overall because you had the uh, what's the bank that the big bank that failed Silicon Valley Bank SVB. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> what you have a lot of times is banks will hold a the very bare minimum amount of cash reserves that the FDIC requires in order to ensure banker or ensure consumer deposits. So ba- basically, banks will take deposits from you and I. <clears throat> they'll hold that a portion of it and they'll lend out the rest. So that's how they grow. And I, I should know this by now, but I think it's like 90% leverage that they have. So if they, if we all collectively have a hundred thousand dollars of deposits in a bank, they can basically loan out a million dollars of that as a result of that. So it's like a, an exponential amount that they can lend. And that's what keeps our, you know, basically credit and debt cycle churning mm-hmm. in in uh, in America but as you can see with SVB and these other banks that um didn't have a short up balance sheet when there's increased risk that enters the picture whether it's uh in massive inflation other you know debt cycles or or asset uh classes that kind of the bubbles are starting to burst it uh it wreaks havoc with our financial system so you have uh banks like that 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 end up tightening up requirements and then i wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other so it'll be harder for people to get loans more than likely they're going to charge more fees to make up for the fact that they can't do as many loans off of uh whatever their deposits are so i think it'll just increase costs is what it's going to do for the consumer unfortunately mm. so i was i was going to ask you about that small tongue banking thing yeah um, does that apply? You see, like how Omaha is a metro, and then there's like Bellevue, which is a town mm-hmm. outside of Omaha, and then there's like La Vista, which is an independent town. Ralston is an independent town. Yep. Papillion, but Gretna, those are um, Bennington, um, Elkhorn. Those are like surrounding. Yes. Right. So, and in every state, and I assume and city, there are probably things that uh, are just like in Omaha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that would be called what what you would say, you know, a small town lender or a tertiary market lender, something like that. So yeah. there, so there are banks in those little cities or towns. In even though Omaha is a big metro, there are there are banks that are within that the boundary of that of Ralston, for instance. Yeah, Augusta, exactly. Uh huh. That would lend to okay. I I that, I find that very interesting because obviously people would would go to banks that are. Omaha, like small town banks, I guess, like Dundee Bank, I just call that because that's the one that I know about. But sure. there might be um, banks in your specific city that's, even though you're part of a bigger metro, it's still like, a, uh, I don't know if you understand. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. And, and I think what you're saying is 
it doesn't necessarily have to be a tiny town. It could be a suburb or a smaller suburb that's on the outskirts of a larger city. That's what I'm trying right? to get that. And yes, they would still have uh, potentially, you know, what you want here is generally a bank that is one branch, maybe a small amount of branches, not one that's uh, like regional banks are okay. Uh, I love small town banks. And this is more dealing with the commercial loan uh, side of things, mm-hmm. commercial and agricultural loans. Those banks will keep their loans in-house, meaning they're not going to resell them on the open market like U.S. Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. Mm-hmm. A lot of those types of banks will originate loans, and then they will actually sell them off to Fannie and Freddie. Right. And they basically recoup uh, some of that money. They'll get, uh, you know, it's more or less a bonus for issuing loans. Right. So if it's a conforming loan, and the, and the thing about that is J.P. Morgan Chase, U.S. Bank, Wells Fargo, they are very strict about the requirements for their borrowers on these loans. Mm-hmm. You go to a small town bank, and if you're going to get a commercial loan to buy like a duplex or a you know a rental in a, a you know in a town around here, they're typically going to keep them in house. So they're going to keep those loans on their own books, and therefore they are not subject to as much scrutiny as a conforming loan would be that's resold to Fannie or Freddie, right? right? So you have more flexibility, you can get more deals done, and uh, it's faster, a hell of a lot faster than uh, going through these bigger banks. So if you're going to get a commercial loan or a mortgage like that, I would say it would definitely benefit you to check with your small, you know, one or two branch uh, locations to see, hey, are you a portfolio lender? And they'll know what that means. That means they're keeping their loan in a portfolio inside the bank, not reselling that loan on the open market. But great question. Yeah, thank you. But hey, speaking of money, sorry, Ted, I know you're going to say something. It looked like you're oh, no, I was just going to say, Dennis always has good questions. He does. <laughs> look at him. Just no, look smart over there. I was there. just going to like nicely flow into Lance White's advice on financing while I'm doing my wave hand. Yeah, I like motion. your wave hand. Yeah. But he gives like some really good nuggets on on the financing, how to finance deals with private money lenders. So away from, from banks, which but. we have not talked much about at all, really. We've oh, yeah. talked about hard money at length. We've talked about commercial and different types of financing with banks. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about private money lenders. And yeah. Lance has some fantastic advice in here about how to approach a, a potential private money lender. So somebody that you may know or may not know all that well that has a bunch of money sitting around and is not, you know, maybe they're not getting a very good return on it. Yeah. He talks about how he approaches that conversation, how he kind of does almost like a, a takeaway type negotiation mm-hmm. where um, it's, it's kind of some good, you know, psychological tactics on that. It's not, you know, manipulation necessarily, but it's certainly some good tips to get you the oh, best yeah. rate you can possibly get in the best terms on these types of loans. Yep. So stay tuned for that. That'll definitely help you kind of grow your toolbox with regard to how you're able to take down deals. And it might give you some ideas of things you hadn't already considered with people you may already know. Right. One, he- th- one thing I noticed after we did the podcast with Lance White, you know, is that, uh, Owen was so concerned about how much uh, younger that Lance looked than Owen that uh, Owen actually changed his whole entire hairdo uh, today because he because he was like you know what uh, I thought Lance was uh, the same age as Ted you know young and, and vibrant and uh, I, don't, I don't remember and, saying those two and, things <laughs> and then realizing that he was like you know 10, 10 plus years older than Owen and Owen's like well I need to start changing up my look. <sighs> We're going so good. <laughs> Lance is me. kind of Benjamin Button, though. He, I mean, you look at yeah. him, he's not very... I don't know how much Botox is involved. We're not bringing that up, okay? <laughs> I don't know. He's he's literally like the same, almost the same age as my mom. 
I he is maybe performing sacrificial rituals to look younger. I don't know. We haven't we haven't brought this up with him, but something is going on there. Maybe it's Lincoln. I don't know. But he does look pretty damn good for a fifty-seven-year-old. I mean, my mom's sixty, so I, I I sat there and I'm like, and I and I was like, oh my gosh, you're like the same age as my my mom. I, I was kind of blown away by that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Lance White. La- Lance, so, had, Lance had been like what thirteen to have me. Let's <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about him though. He is a really. Uh, Like he's done a lot of different things within real estate investing, single family rentals, multifamily rentals, mobile home parks, commercial mixed use buildings. Um, He's obviously done a lot of creative finance deals. He started a meetup, which let's he's going to share with how that all came together and how. Some of the best things can it's be. A fun, res- it's a fun story. It is. Yeah. yeah. Some of the best things that uh, best outcomes can uh, be started with really no plan. <laughs> <gonna talk> about, <laughs> right. And he's going to talk about structuring partnerships. Yeah. So I think uh, there's something in here for everyone. And I think you're going to get a lot of uh, good tactical and strategic advice out of Lance White. And uh, he's just been uh, a lot of fun. He's been a mainstay at a lot of the events that we've done. So we're uh, we're fortunate to have him on our on our podcast today. I And we talked about this podcast, too, but I cannot believe that we didn't have him sooner. I know he's just been like that guy that's always there, and like, yeah, it's we, so we, long overdue. We've talked about him numerous times on yep. our, on our list, but uh, I ran into him. I went to the Lincoln meetup, and I was like, I was like, dude, will you be on the podcast? He's like, when? How about I go in two days? <laughs> he's, and he's like, that's typical Rio Radio it, fashion. And he goes, seriously? I go, I go, I I cannot believe we haven't had you on yet. And then he came in, and I knew he was doing some big stuff, but I didn't know he was doing all the stuff he was doing. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, it it really is. And I think we need to start branching out more into the Lincoln market, too. There's some major players there that we haven't had in. So I, I think that's uh, that's going to be upcoming here, Lincolnites. And I, I really love having the in in person. I, I love the people we're interviewing on a national scale because they're just ballers. And, you know, we learn so much out of having them. But in, individually, though, Lance uh, is, I mean, he, Lance is on national podcasts, too. Like he just like, Hey, I just got done doing two hour podcast at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, I hope everyone tunes in for this because you are going to get a wealth of knowledge. So stay tuned for our podcast episode with Lance, Lance white. white. You liked that intro. Huh? That was fantastic. Yeah, it's winning today. Lance, there's one thing that you and I have in common, but I do not really know the backstory on this. No. Alrighty. Is that, uh, so I run a local meetup here in town, but, you're, you're kind of the grandfather of the Lincoln meet, meetup Dang. in Lincoln, Nebraska. Is that correct? Well, grandfather seems... Well, it's passed on how many generations? <clears throat> like old. Well, two now. Oh, so, so, yeah, okay. All right. That's fair. <laughs> well, plus we did just find out how old you are, and it was alarming to everyone in here. So you could be a grandfather. Ooh, not yet. But you could be. <laughs> I could be. Yeah. Could be, yeah. I mean, you're, so your oldest son, uh, Jordan, is 30, and Lauren is 25, so... yeah. You, they might have some children they don't even know about, or at least. Uh, well, that, I would hope she would know about. Yeah, it. Yeah, Lejordan might. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Ted, I don't think Jordan's wired that way. I think he, I think he's doing it the smart way. So he's dating a gal right now, and so your wife Lisa is definitely was the one that taught all the. the oh yeah, the good side of it. Yeah, you you were handling the bad side, kind of like Owen. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know what that means, but let's talk about how you decided to start a meetup and why. <laughs> okay. So uh, the interesting thing about uh, meetups is, is of course, you get to meet a lot of people. And uh, I, I had this uh, crazy idea to start one up a while back. And uh, and so I got uh, a meeting with uh, – can we mention pe- other people? Yeah, it's encouraged. Okay, we can even you, know, you can drop hashtags until we get su- until we get sued, and then we're just going to close up shop. And okay, all right, yeah, and drive off in the sunset. Yeah, okay, got it. So go ahead. So I was uh, talking to Aaron, and I said, Aaron, "Hey, Aaron, Aaron Impens." Yep. Yeah, and I said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a a, a meetup," and he's like, "Well, I'm gonna start a meetup." And I'm like, "Well, then why haven't you?" And he's like, "Well, I'm I'm in the process." I said, "You just call up a bunch of people and say, hey, we're meeting over at this place on this date.' That's to me what a meetup was right mm-hmm. and so uh anyway so that's exactly what i did and uh, i scheduled this meetup and i scheduled it at the hooter scooters in lincoln which is it's a great spot yeah right yeah yeah do you know what that is i know what hooters is okay. I, I know what scooters are so <laughs> sounds like a great mashup i to know me. <laughs> so so hooters used to be in lincoln at the location where the scooters is now so i now affectionately call it the hooter scooters <laughs> which is a like few blocks it. from my house you know and if i actually walked i could walk there but i don't so i'm not going to so anyway i uh scheduled this thing and i threw it out on uh facebook <clears throat> and i don't even think i had a i might have had a facebook thing back then what was the carbon dating on this uh yeah, i think it was before fire so <laughs> anyway <clears throat> so we're uh at this, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to walk out the door that night, and my wife's like, where are you going? And I said, well, I scheduled that meetup. Don't you remember? And she goes, do you know what tonight is? And I'm like... Oh, boy. That <laughs> felt like a trap immediately. No. I hate it when my wife does that to me. No, this is actually really <laughs> funny, though. It's not like our anniversary or some killer thing. It's like, she's like, it's the national championship for college football. <laughs> Sorry, college egg ball. Did you see it? Is that yeah. what he said? Air ball, egg, yeah. egg. Oh my god! So anyway, so I'm like, <laughs> oh crap! I said I didn't, I didn't think anything about that. So I'm like, well, I already scheduled, so I'm just gonna go show up, and me and the two nerds there that aren't watching the football game are gonna hang out for a little bit and talk about real estate that we haven't done, and then uh, I'm gonna come back <laughs> home, right, and watch the rest of the game. <clears throat> so I get there, and. And and this has an upstairs, so I scheduled it for the upstairs because I, I didn't want to mess with the people downstairs. Freaking standing room only. Whoa. I was, like, shocked. And it was really funny because this is basically how the first meetup went. Hi, I'm Lance White. Thanks, y'all, for coming. Tonight, we're just going to mingle. We're going to hang out. We're going to network. <clears throat> and then if you guys like this, we're going to do another one next month. And people are looking around going, all right. So, Yeah. And that's how it started. How many people do you have there? Oh, I bet there was 45 people. There was way more people than the fire marshal would have allowed. Wow. So anyway. That's a great start. So that's kind of how it... Uh, I'm sorry. Well, the reason I bring it up is because I get a lot of people come to me and ask me, how do I start a meetup? How do I start a meetup? And I'm like, if I was you, I would uh, I would take somebody's property or your own if you got one and showcase it, mm-hmm. get people in there, have you know, do a BYOB. And and invite your contractors, invite everybody that worked on a property, you know, showcase it, talk about it, have an open discussion, then and then announce that you're gonna do the next one at a specific location. Well, plus you also have to wait for a pandemic to happen before you decide to 
uh, start one, right? Isn't that what you did? I well, I took over our local meetup in the uh, yeah when they shut it down and put it. And I'm like, yeah, one more open it's right a, back up. It's <laughs> a great it's a great time to hey, <laughs> start a large group it, gathering during a pandemic. Great. June yeah. June, of tw- June of 2020. <laughs> it does sound pretty technical what you're doing. I just like the hey, let's show up here and have a drink and talk about real estate thing. But, but Ted's very organized with his. I know. I don't. Obviously, I'm not. We had a luncheon today, and and then uh, kind of the same situation. Uh, there there was I mean, look, there was probably about 25 people there, but. Right at the time it started, there was three people in the room. Right. And I'm like, oh, today's opening day for College World Series. And what was I oh, thinking? Yeah. But I, I wanted to be, I like consistency rather than going around things that are happening. So I, uh, I'm like, let's just go forward with it. And, uh, and all, by, you know, 15 minutes in, the room was starting to fill up and we had a good group. But, nice. you know, I, I, I had the same thought that you did with, with the with the football championship going on. I'm yeah. like, oh, man, what I want to make. Hey, let's get into this for a minute. So you two have both started really successful meetups. And you, how long is the one you've been you started, uh, Lance, been running? Uh, I think it's been running probably about six or seven years now. And, Ted, you took over an existing RIA group that really was not being marketed much at all. Right. It was very small. And you kind of rebranded, added your own kind of special sauce to it. And, 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 a, and a podcast. And the podcast. Yeah. And um, have grown that since. Let's let's do, let's say we've got listeners out there that um, are in a market where there's not a great meetup. And mm-hmm. they, they really feel like there's a void and they could maybe, they're interested in getting around and networking with real estate investors. Can we do some tips here? Like, how do you how do you go about this? Lance, you, you, it seems like you took a more kind of like laid back and... Uh, approach of just reaching out, right? And you just yep. said, "Hey, everybody that I know, we want to get together and talk about real estate." And then it kind of has grown a life of its own since then. How has it changed since your early days? What's it look like now? It's it's kind of it's kind of similar. Uh, the The format that we chose after that first night is pretty much followed through. So you have networking for the first half hour or so, and then you have a keynote speaker for about. 45 minutes to an hour. You don't want to go too much longer than that because people start to glaze over and, and, and lose interest. And then after that, it's uh, mark or networking until people get a leave or until they shut the bar down, which I've been there for those both. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a pretty similar format. And then every once in a while, we'll, we'll uh, stir in some stuff like you'll go on location somewhere or we'll have a panel. Those seem to be cool. And I know you guys have had panels before. And so... <clears throat> Those are probably the main things I think for the meetup that that we do. Panels are like the easy way out. Like if if you if you it's hard to get a, a good speaker sometimes. Mm-hmm. And but there's a lot of people that are comfortable sitting on a panel with multiple people. Yeah, it takes the pressure off. So uh, I know when I when I was starting to do events, like my I think my first four or five months were panels. And then I started rotating a speaker in there like every other every yep. for, that, for that first mm-hmm. year until mm-hmm. you started really getting comfortable in what you were doing. Yeah. But, well, what I like about panels is is I like to make sure that I invite because the first panel I had was uh, Aaron, Josh, uh, Marcus, Aaron's partner, and was there a four in there? It might have been Dave Bader, and I didn't know any of these guys. I honestly didn't. I I probably knew. Uh, and I, th- I think Aaron all, the best. All those guys except Aaron Impens has been on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and so th- the cool thing was is that Marcus was the money guy, so he had a decent angle. Aaron uh, was the in- traditional investor guy like myself and so he had an angle and then uh dave bader is just dave you know so it was cool to be able to i mean i invited them because i wanted to ask them questions i didn't care about anybody else in the 
who showed up, I'm like, I just want to know from you guys because they'd all been doing it way longer than I had. You so. should start a podcast. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that because if you have a question about things, there's uh, almost 100% certainty that more people than you have that same question. Absolutely. And that's why I think meetups like this have become, you know, have blown up in popularity over the years. Now, Ted, how has yours changed over that? You mentioned you you took it over, not probably an optimal timing of doing that with the pandemic, but you, but you it, made it work. But it really was the best time I could have took it over because the difference was is that all the other meetup groups in the country were shut down. Mm. And and I joined the national Rio to get that to get that partnership going, and yep. they were they were able to provide a lot of resources for very little money, mm-hmm. and uh, and offer benefits so to get more value to the members. Yes. So that was the very first thing I did day one. Uh, so all of a sudden I'm like, hey, now we got more value, and then I could I could promote those twenty national sponsors that, 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 before I was getting my own personal local sponsors. Okay. So that was that was uh, part one of that transition. The next thing was is that. Um, I was videotaping all the content. We did that because of the pandemic. So I didn't know how people were going to show up to the meetings. Very smart. And so we started off. With, great idea. I just literally started by putting my iPad up and doing a live stream until Demlist came around and, and took it to the next level. But that uh, that live Facebook feed into the group all of a sudden, because before the previous owner didn't want to give that stuff away because he thought nobody would show up if it was getting out there. But my mindset was they put it out there, they're going to see what they're missing. Right. And so that was probably the single biggest transition at the time that we could have done was is putting that live content out there for everybody to see what was going on. Because in the group at that time, there was like 700 members or 700 people in the Facebook group. So that definitely helped grow it. Right. And then I, I made a point to do a Facebook Live like kind of newsletter update every uh, at least once a week on there too. Which I know ne- you're all over the place when it, you took over. It was amazing. Well, that way, if you do Facebook Live, it notifies everybody in a group like a newsletter. It says, mm-hmm. hey, this, this guy was live. Even if you're not live, it still notifies them. So that was a good way to reach. Yeah. But the biggest thing is because we started during the pandemic, everybody else shut down. And, right. and Nebraska was shut down but not 100% shut down. Yeah. And there was like distancing rules. Uh, so mm-hmm. we actually said, hey, we're still open for business. Nasharia said that we were the only group open, period. Is that and crazy? There's 100,000 members. Even nationwide. Florida? That's hard to believe. Nationwide. There's, there's, <laughs> well, it was, was, was each group's owner's uh, decision to make that. Right. And okay. So uh, because of that, we became the fastest growing RIA in the country year one. And then, we, then year two, we were also. And we're not the biggest in any sort of way. But because of this, our membership base is not has not fallen off. Before right. before they would have about eighty percent turn of memberships every year, and we've I think we've only lost probably twenty members in the last two and a half years. That's good. Yeah, or three years. So if I'm hearing you right, um, here's some hacks for this. So when you first start, do some Facebook Live and video live video streaming of whatever your format is. So you have an in person meetup whether it's a panel or a guest speaker or whatever, get some hype going around it so people can see what's going on, what they're missing, what the topics are. And then um, you you had mentioned, uh, if I can read my own writing here. So you started with panels. That was kind of the easy button. Is that fair? So you got a kind of small group together and you said, hey, can you talk? Can you talk? Can you talk? And then how did you approach that with regard to them actually getting the questions that you want asked answered did you ask them are you emceeing them are you prompting them or like how does that work so i emceed the deal and uh i had a whole list of questions that i was going to ask and i literally started out asking the questions because i knew if i had them everybody else that was there was going to have them too 
Uh, and then after that, I opened it up for other people to have questions. But I, I literally wanted to control the first, say, half hour of it so that everybody could see what direction we were going. Because there's always that guy that wants to ask that specific question about a property that he's never even going to own anyway. You know that guy, yes. right? You're like, I, I do know him. I'm not going to have I'm not going to have an Airbnb in the Himalayas, so I don't need to know about that. Okay, <laughs> so qu- don't ask stupid questions like that. So, so we did that, and and uh, and I knew the personalities there were going to be fun, but also difficult. So I was like, I want to ask the questions and get them going. And then what I could do is I could specifically ask each one of them a question. And then what I also did is I asked a question. I said, okay, I'm going to ask a question. I want each one of you to answer it. You're going to get about two or three minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then I ask it and then I just went down the line. And then the next question like that, I'd start on the other side and just go back. Yeah. That way. And then I directed most of the questions to the people who I thought would be best to answer that. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, when um, over the over the years that you guys have uh, witnessed and been involved in this and planned it and so forth, do you do you notice any like common threads with your most attended or most popular uh, group gatherings? What is there a topic or a type of person that lends itself well to really good attendance? So I've noticed that the ones that get the most attendance are the ones where you actually have someone who is a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. Now, they could be a realtor also, or they could be a lawyer, or they could be all that. But when people are going to a real estate investor meetup, they want somebody who's going to talk about real estate. Okay. So you're talking like maybe bankers, insurance providers, vendors that are adjacent to the real estate industry, realtors, maybe they aren't the best unless they also own property I would say to yeah. start off with. I would say, yeah. Okay. And, then, uh, and probably the only exception, but it's super dry except for us real estate investors who understand it, is, is it seems like everybody always has an accountant. Yeah, I was just going to say taxes. Around, around, uh, Mar- around January. Uh-huh. Uh, because you know the the people that are just getting into it have no idea how to control that stuff and what you're supposed to do. One of the biggest questions I used to get is, "Well, do I need to form an LLC?" And my answer is always, "It depends. What are you going to do? Are you going to do this a lot, or are you just going to do maybe one a year? Because if you're just going to do one a year and you're maybe not going to keep it, or you know you're thinking about having three or four, you don't necessarily have to. But if you plan on flipping and wholesaling, you should really have that because otherwise you're going to get slaughtered with taxes. Mm. So other than that, it's I think to me it's got to be people who've done some kind of real estate investing, even if it's a realtor. And I don't mind having those types of people, but they have to be investors first. And they're oh by the way, I'm a realtor too. And the reason I got my license is dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. But my passion is real estate investing. And it's just like anything else. When you when you go to any other kind of a thing, if the main deal is whatever, popcorn, you know, I want to know, I want to talk to the people that are selling the popcorn and how they're doing it. And if are not, not the 37 different kinds of popcorn that could possibly be sold. Because okay. I can find that out on my own. It's how are you selling it? Are you sitting down at the College World Series selling that stuff? Are you, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. You want the tactical um, knowledge that only an investor is going to have as opposed to theoretical. Um, I, now, I, let me add a little yeah, to that. No, too, please. Because I, I got some, I'm always analyzing. So every time I have a speaker, we document the attendance. Yeah. Um, so we have like a three-year running record of all attendance for each event. Couple things that I've noticed is, you know, we we started off thinking it was really the time of year because it was really seasonal. On when, so summer comes, 
it, it fell off on that first year. Sure. Uh, winter come, you know, it's fall, winter, it started coming back because of sports and whatever. But we uh, we started really digging into it more, and we really found out it's uh, the, how big the person is on social media. So if, if that person had a huge social media following, even if they've never spoke, um, I've recently had people like this that never spoke publicly, but they came in, they had a huge hype. They, they put their own hype videos out. Yep. You know, they, they promoted themselves. They, they might have thousands of followers, especially local followers. Then all of a sudden that brought a ton of people. Yes. Uh, so that was always a big thing. Um, obviously name is a name wreck. Isn't big things? My, my, oh yeah. My highest attended event to date was Jeff Cohn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, people know his name. He, mm-hmm. and sometimes he's, you know, he's controversial to a lot of people. It's a, it's a, it's a love him or hate him type of person. Um, I have a good relationship with him. He came in, he absolutely killed it. His presentation was amazing. Nice. And it was the highest attendant event we had. Van Deeb is my second yes, highest. I love Van Deeb. Second. It's, he actually gives the same presentation every time if you, if you notice, but, but he, he's, uh, but he was the second highest attendant event I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but again, you know, we brought in, we flew a guy in Patrick, uh, last month for an event, Mahomes. uh, Switek and, Mahomes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, social media guy 24, but he's big on social media. He was promoting it heavily. Plus we did live videos beforehand to hype it up. So, uh, mm-hmm. that brought a lot of people in. I, I think we had a little over 110 people there. Nice. You know, so I, I think that it's, I think that it, it's the name, it's the, how the person portrays himself. Uh, but there is one topic that always brings in a guaranteed crowd no matter what and it doesn't matter who it is but it's short-term rentals short-term right rentals now. i was just so, gonna guess that so hot topic buttons uh you know like you know pace morby's put you know what he pushes with the uh um subject to subject to financing yep yeah and you know so if i if i put a title of subject to financing on there and that's the key word that everybody's hearing right now that would bring a big crowd right now mm-hmm. uh so uh but if you you know there's a lot of things that you are kind of portraying that but if you are doing an event and the speakers are not huge people you need to do one like say you have a panel you should do a one-on-one interview really quick live stream it on the page um within uh 24 hours of your event so it's fresh in mind okay and then also make sure that that's going out in your newsletter you know once a week promoting mm-hmm. it yep. and everywhere like i literally go through and and add by hand everybody in my local group to invite to the meetup because you can't blanket Adam anymore to a, like a Facebook group. Right. And, and then I send a newsletter out to 8,000 people. And then I have, I have about 300 people in my text message list that I know are like good for coming to our events or members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I go through and text those people like a, like a repeat text over to all of them. And if I spend that time to do all of that, then I know for a fact, I'm going to have greater than a hundred people. If I don't do that stuff, uh, then I see my attendance at the 70, 80 range. Sure. That's very smart. So, well, let's get into why you even wanted to do a meetup in the first place. So, this was 10 years ago where you decided to pull this together. Had you bought anything yet? Yeah, it seemed like you hadn't. Um, or were you just getting started? I, I think I was just getting, well, I'd, I'd done some things because obviously, if, if, uh, my, yeah, about 10 years ago, but, but I think the biggest thing for me was, uh, getting the education from, local people. And so I was doing things, but I also wanted the, I think the, one of the biggest hurdles for a new person is where to find the money. Yeah, totally agree. I I didn't know about hard money until I started doing the, actually running the meetup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, um, as a matter, uh, and, and so I think for, for that, 
if if you can get the people there that are either hard money lenders or they're private money lenders, that's going to help a new person to put a deal under contract because they know that they've got a buyer. And so for me, when I talk to new people and I, and I, and you guys get this all the time, uh, I want to, I want to pick your brain. You know, to me, I'm just like, Oh my God. Oh, one loves that. Yeah. I'm like, it's my favorite. Um, I always tell him, I said, I tell you what, here's the deal. You have to buy me a cup of, co- I tell him you have to buy me a cup of coffee or a drink or something, whatever it is. And then I'll talk to you for about a half an hour. And if I like you, maybe an hour, <laughs> but I'm not going to sit there and and let you take up all my time to ask all these questions that you can now find easily on bigger pockets or wherever else. True, true. Uh, so, so I think that like going back to the uh, to the meeting once again, if you can help a new person with that, and then my expectation is is when they get their first deal, they either let me walk it with them so I can help them to put in an offer. Or once they have it under contract, I need to be the first person that they call. For what purpose? To get the option to buy it from them. Oh, if okay. All right. Okay. So um, that's 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 kind of how I start to handle that stuff, and not, and 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 so now people are. I, I have less people contacting me. I've had two people in one week contact me, which is crazy. And this young gal who was actually showed up at the meeting Monday night. And she didn't stay, so I'm a little concerned because I texted her afterwards and, and she's like, oh, I'm very shy. I said, well, you should have stayed and came over to me because I told you I was going to introduce you to two or three people who are cash buyers. So for her, I probably won't spend a lot of more time unless she shows more initiative because, I mean, if somebody were to say, Lance, come to a meeting and I'm going to show you guys that will buy your properties if you put them on a contract, I would be there until they kick me out. Mm-hmm. I'd be talking to those guys. I'd be hanging out with those guys. I'd be saying, what do you need? And that's the next biggest question for those guys as, as for new wholesalers or whatever. Find out what they need, what they're looking for, what they want. Don't just, and if, if the guy sitting across from you says, I'll take anything, move on to the next person. Cause they won't. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. What <laughs> it makes me, it makes me super nervous too. That the fact that she's like, I'm too nervous to talk to you, but I'm going to go to somebody's random house and convince them I'm going to buy their house. Right. <clears throat> because it, t- it, take, it takes, you know, big, big, big steel balls to be able to go in <laughs> okay. there. Yeah. And Especially for what we offer people, right? <laughs> <laughs> and negotiate. I mean, I mean, you guys do this. So, I mean, tell me about it. I mean, it, it, takes, it takes big nuts to go in there. I, I did this for somebody in town near, uh, you know, a few years ago where I walked in and analyzed it and pro- gave the proposal. And, you you need to be able to stand your ground on your price, and if you have no confidence in yourself to be able to meet a person to buy the one that you just got under contract, yep. Then you're, I mean, I I think it's all fluff. Yeah. That's why some people make it and some people don't. So, yeah, I uh, so I had a, an interesting meeting uh, with a, a a homeowner like a in District sixty six. It was a good good area, eighty fourth Street. Yeah, uh, kind of Loveland area in Omaha, um, which is a great school district and mm-hmm. desirable home. And he, his mom had died. He and his brother owned it. They were wanting to sell it. It needed probably a sixty thousand dollars rehab. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so he told me like he was you know playing his cards close to his vest. So he's like, well, I've got other people looking at it. I've got other investors invited to you know blah blah blah. I've got realtors coming and generally those are not great 
uh, appoint, right. appointments because right. there's so much competition. Generally, I want I want to be the guy. Oh, like yeah. I want to be the one in the door, and you meet me, and you're going to like me, and I'm going to give you an offer, and I'm going to explain it. And I'm going to try and talk you out of doing business with me. And that's generally my approach. Yes. So when I come in, I say, you should not sell it to an investor like me because you're not going to make enough money. And I say that, and I want to see how they react to that that statement and have them tell me that money is not the most important thing. And if they do, if they do go down that path, then I know that's a different conversation we're having. Right. Whereas if it is only about the money, then I say... You're wasting your time meeting with investors because you're not going to make everything that you could possibly make. Instead, you should list this as is, no repairs or reports to seller, and you should take whatever the market brings you. There you go. Yep. That's it. And and so if people are like, well, what do you like, don't you want to buy it? Well, I'm like, yeah, of course I want to buy it, but I have to do it with numbers that make sense for me. And they don't always make sense for you. And that's fine because I can't buy every house I look at. Right. But Here's why you shouldn't do business with an investor. And and I did that with this guy, right? And he mm-hmm. looked at me like, what the hell are you talking? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. nobody else has done this with mm-hmm. him. And he, and of course, I'm like, look, I'm going to tell you what we can pay for this, and you're not going to take it. And that's fine. But I at least want to give you a number because I'm showing you the respect of showing me a property and giving me the opportunity. But you're not going to do business with me, but, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you are the most honest person I have met with and that includes all the realtors that I met with. Yes. And and so that could very well come back around and be a deal at mm-hmm. some point, even though I've already written it off. I'm just like, I'm going to make my offer like Johnny Appleseed. Right. I'm going to go around and sprinkle offers around oh, yeah. and not pay any attention to them. Yep. And then you never know when I'm going to get a phone call three months later and be like, you know what? I really appreciate what you told me. Yes. Nobody else did that. And I'm going to go with you if your offer's still good. And I'll be like, no, it's not. It's actually 20000 less. Right. And then I'm not such a good... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about all that. I've done but that that's, before. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, I that's that my approach almost all the time. I did so. that with a bank on a, on a lake property. I told them what I was going to pay for it. And I told them that I needed it now because I want to have it on the market in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you come back to me in the spring because you haven't sold it, then it's going to be 20000 less than my offer today. And I'll be damned if in February they didn't call me up and said, hey, we need to sell this property and we're taking your offer. And I said, no, it's now 20000 less. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. I said, well. Yeah, I told you then. Like- you should have sold it to me in September. Now it's now it's February. And by the time I get this house done, it's going to be... Fall, right? Yeah. Well, it was going to be May or June. Oh, okay. And by then, everybody that's got a lake house... Yes, Exactly. That, yeah. Everybody that had money for a lake house has their lake house because they wanted it for the whole season, not for a August, month, September, <laughs> yeah. and maybe October. And the bank, and I'm just like, I told you, I I don't know what else to say to you. I told you, yeah. So yeah, I think I, I mean the message here is like you're not. And to your point, Ted, and we kind of you know got off topic here, but you said. Um, it takes, you know, cojones to walk into a, a homeowner's house that is trying to get the best price they can, and you're trying to buy it for the best price you can because it's not generally a win-win situation. It's generally you win, I lose, and vice versa uh, in their from their perspective. Sure. Right? So you have to have the ability to, like, articulately describe why you're offering what you're offering and mm-hmm. just leave it at that and not deal with the uncomfortable silences and try to fill the gaps with conversation that's unnecessary. I, yeah. I, I dealt with that this, just this week. There's a property that I put a bid on, one walked it, and uh, I knew it appraised that beforehand. I said, hey, you know what? We're going to be – actually, I put the offer of 175 in. 
And she's like, hey, you know, I'm getting some other people to approach me, and would you be comfortable doing 180? But I was really upfront with her. I'm like, I'm like, hey, this is exactly what I'm going to do. This is exactly how much money I'm going to put into it, and this is my intentions with it. I go, my renovation's only going to be five days, and I'm going to uh, be putting this right back in the market within two weeks. So I was really upfront with all of this. Mm-hmm. And But also when I approached her with it, I also said, hey, I'm willing to be your realtor. Uh, and list it, and I gave her all the numbers. I, I go, I, I will be your, I'll be your business partner, and and do this with you, and not buy it, and I'll just pay for all the renovation costs, and then we'll, and this is what you'll make. Yep. And I went through all these examples and it, options. It, it was her, it was her parents' house, and it was really emotional to be there. Yes, those are the tough and, ones. And so she's like, and then at the end she goes, "There's another gentleman that buys houses that we did have in. I just want to be full disclosure with you. Was it me? No. Oh. Uh, and slacker. He's actually the guy I bought this bu- uh, building from. And uh, she, and he goes, uh, and then as soon as he goes, oh, he came in with a group of people. He's, 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 those are people trying to buy it. He's trying to get you. Da, da, da. It's like, well, actually, he was extremely honest with me. He told me every aspect that he could tell me how much, uh, how it wasn't smart for me to not to sell it to him. It was in the best interest to partner with him on it and have him be the real estate agent that relisted right. it, you know, because I, I wanted to make her make her the most money. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then the end there, you know, she's like, he's like, I will I will pay $5,000 over whatever Ted's offering you. <laughs> and so I, I told her, I was like, well, tell, tell him I'm offering you 200 or plus and, and, and make some money go. on it. And she's like, no, I want to use you just because you've been so upfront. There you go. That's how it works. <laughs> Those are the fun ones. Yeah. It. Uh, here's, here's another thing. And uh, like... I'm just thinking of all these situations that that I've been through recently where dealing with, you know, homeowners that are either motivated or not motivated. But Mm -hmm. um, like another tactic that a lot of homeowners use is they'll say, well, I want to hear all the offers first and all that. And they're they're never they're not going to name a price, just whatever, however you ask it. Right. But there's a lot of different ways that you can ask that question without actually asking that question. Oh, yeah. So you can get a feel for, like, have you had any realtors look at it? And, mm-hmm. and like, how did it go? What did they say? Well, how did you feel about that? Like, yeah. ask them a lot of those feel follow-up questions. Found. Yeah. And then, and then you may end up getting to the point where they say, well, they told me uh, it was worth $160,000. How did you feel about that? And then you'll get a sense. Then you'll know, like, is that the right number? Is it less than that? What's yeah. their, like, mm-hmm. what is the range that I'm actually dealing with here instead of what you just told me? You yeah. know, you know what? If you're listening to this right now and you didn't, if that didn't sink in what he just told you, that was definitely the golden nugget of the podcast. So just pause, do a 30 second rewind and listen to that all over again. Because, yeah. Because that is the best tip that you can give. For, and that's, it's sales 101. Mm hmm. But you you you're you're discovering you're 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 giving yourself some credibility you're get, you're getting some feel out of it and you're letting them talk. I find that a lot of times if we're in a competitive situation if we're dealing with other investors have been through before and maybe they're not maybe they don't listen to the same stuff that I do or they don't have the same types of experience that I have had in my career mm-hmm. they'll approach it a completely different way and they'll maybe pick apart the house. And they'll try and tell the homeowner everything that's wrong with it. And they'll say, oh, well, this thing needs, you know, the kitchen needs gutted or this, you know, the the paneling's ugly or whatever, right? They'll just start describing maybe, and maybe it's somebody's childhood home. 
maybe it's their parents' home. Yeah. Like, that's... you don't do that. You no. can make fun of your own kid, but not your somebody else's kid in front of them, oh, right? Yeah. You yeah. know? Like, so I'm just saying you got to be mindful of your audience. And and I so I'm never derogatory about a house. And I'll just say, you know what? These are my favorite types of houses to buy. Cosmetically, maybe a little outdated, but well-maintained. Mm-hmm. And that that mm-hmm. is a feather in the cap of whoever owned the house. Like, of course, they're not going to maintain the house as well. Of course, it's not going to be updated to the nines when they're 80 years old. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. But if you go in there and you start t- picking apart everything and tearing down the house mentally, they're going to be like, God, this this is really off-putting. So this will tie in perfectly with what you just said that's even like a, a really good nugget is I just, I just tell them, you know, if you were to keep this house, what would you do to it? What would you change about it? That's a good question. Yeah. I love doing that because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden that gets the whole ball rolling because they're like, oh, I've always hated this kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's their childhood home, I've always hated this kitchen. I would do that. Oh, that's a great idea. Do you have any idea how much that would cost to do that? Just guess for me. Just let him give you a, a number, mm. and it's oh, it's almost always going to be low, right? It's mm-hmm. either going to be low or it's going to be way too high. That's that's your options. It's never going to be within you know three or four grand. It's always going to be, and so and and then you say, oh, okay, yeah, what else? And then you just you let them start racking up the dollars on how much this stuff is going to cost. I did that the other day with one of my favorite guys who I've bought his entire portfolio. So he sold one of his houses uh, a long time ago to a buddy. The buddy is now in like assisted living or whatever. And so we come to this house and I mean, it is trash. And, and, and I just, I, I just started talking to him. I think he told me that the guy wanted 164. Well, in the neighborhood, that thing's going to top out at like 210, mm-hmm. like absolute highest value. And I'm thinking more about 205. And I said, okay, Bill, let's talk about this for a second. I said, uh, the kitchen's tr- well, it is trash, and we could say this because I mean it was a hoarder house. It was mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. piled everywhere. I'm like, I'm like, so so let's talk about this. You, you know, the have to redo the kitchen, right? And he's like, oh yeah. I'm saying, how much is that? And he tells me, and it's pretty close to what a kitchen would cost. I said, okay, what else are we going to have to do? He goes, well, that bathroom is just disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, it's very disgusting. I mean, the, the shower looked like a coal miner had taken showers and <laughs> the, the bottom of the, the tub was just black. It uh-huh. was disgusting, right? And I'm like, how much, how much for that bathroom bill? And I just started going through every little yeah. everything and let him tell me the price. I don't care. And then when we got done, I'm saying, okay, so we're, we've hit about 65 grand on the renovations, right? He's like, yep. I said, and this guy wants 160 for it. Yep. And I said, and it's only going to be worth 205 when we get done. Tell me how I'm going to pay this guy 160 for it. And he's like, we're not. Yeah. And I said, there you go. And I let them do it. And I. So and, this is a fantastic tip. Yeah. That, yeah. This is, this, this is, is great. This you is, should rewind this, this also. This is this, Instagram reel right yeah. here. This, yeah. th- this is a. Th- I, I could not have said that. I mean, you, you nailed it. That's exactly how you need to approach. And this is for conversations when you're dealing with experienced people that own um, real estate, right? They sure. know they know how to do this. They have done it. They've owned rental properties. They get the general gist of what mm-hmm. contracting is all about. Generally, that conversation, if you have that with a homeowner, like you said, it's going to be they haven't sold or bought a house in 30 years. They're right. not going to have any idea how much it costs to gut a kitchen or gut a bathroom right. unless they watch HGTV or whatever, right? right? But it still it still does work for them because then all of a sudden you're just you're just talking about it and just say, look, I do this all the time. I have contractors that give me a really good deal. 
I'm really dialed in. I'm going to tell you that a new bathroom like the one that we would have to redo for you is probably going to be about 4000 bucks, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, depending on the size of the bathroom. So let's just start there. Okay, so that's a 4000 And then you just start going through that stuff and, 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 just, and you just keep asking them, though. And if they don't have an answer, then you provide an answer for them. And then when you're done, all of a sudden you've got this list of stuff and you're like, and that's why I'm going to offer you what I'm offering you now. I'm not trying to make you mad. All I'm saying is that if you go to a realtor, they're going to ask you to update a few things. Do you have the money or the time or the inclination to do that stuff? Mm -hmm. And listen to what they say. If you don't, then I would like the opportunity. If you do, you should listen to them. And it's the principle where you talked about earlier, where the more you push people the way, the more the more they try to get to they try to get close to you. I love doing that with private money lenders, and we can talk about that whenever you want to do that too. But that's one of my favorite things to do with private money lenders. Oh, that's a, that's a quite the cliffhanger. I actually want to know about it now because because <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been looking at, at options, especially like with family members, uh-huh. but they tend to want to hold their money very close to their chest. So I want to dig into this a little bit on the private money negotiating thing. You mentioned you had kind of a ninja tactic on that. Tell us about that. What do you mean by that? So private money, meaning if you want to get uh, money for a deal, you come to somebody that you know personally and you're right. asking to borrow money yep. and they're they're wanting to make a certain return. Yep. What? Tell us about what you're, uh, what, what's, what, what do you do in this type of situation that helps you? So before we, before we get there... You've got to say soccer. No. <laughs> he doesn't want to learn about private money lenders very bad. Okay, next topic. I mean, and this is really bad, Rowan, because he really likes to be teased. So Yeah. He, so <laughs> that's funny. We're trying to get him to say soccer. That's good. So but we, did, we, we did get him to admit that he's from Jamaica a couple he, times. He did do that. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to get him to say soccer. I'm saying if he doesn't say soccer, we're not talking about private money lending. Because Denlos really wants to hear about this section. So, okay, we can move on. Okay, yeah, we can move on. All right. All right. Next, next subject. Fair enough. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. So you were born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska. No. No. Where were you? Where were you from originally? Okay, now don't tell anybody this, but I was I'm from North Platte. North Platte. Okay, that's our first I think our first guest from first, North Platte. North first North Platteian? Yeah. North North Platteian? Is that how you Sure, North okay. Plashin. Plashin? Um you, you, that you, sounds French. You just had a, you had a step away from the meth and you're like, let's, right. let's, 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 <laughs> right. Okay, okay, okay. Sucka. I know I got I got I got right. Okay, I said it sucker. Oh, you he did say it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. All right. Oh. Only because it's valuable to our listeners. Okay, so back wow. back to private money lending. <laughs> he said the secret password. This is like a speakeasy for so real estate so knowledge. So he said mention word meth. He, he, he <laughs> that was the trigger. Yeah, apparently. Well, the best part is 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 he just made my point for me. <laughs> on private money lending which is which is you just push them away <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty well I am dead that's serious. well done i'm right. dead serious so here here's what i do with private money lenders so my elevator pitch I, I need to back up for that my elevator pitch is is with my company i'm in acquisitions so my job is to find money and to find deals Okay. And then I let the person I'm talking to choose which one of those two things they want to ask me questions about. Can you give me a give us a real world example here? Sure. So so I just come up Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pharmacist. Oh, cool. How long have you been doing that? Blah blah blah. You go through that, you find out all the stuff about pharmacists. What do you do? Well, I'm a real estate investor. Oh, what do you mean? What's a real estate investor? 
Well, um, I have a partner and, I, and my job at our business is to find deals and find the money to fund them. And then I just wait to see what they say. And if they say, what do you mean find deals? Then I start talking about deals. Okay, what we do is we look for distressed homes. We look for uh, maybe homes where somebody's passed away and there's nobody to to uh, pass it on to. We look for ones that are foreclosed on or whatever, and then we try to buy those and fix them up. So if they say, "Well, okay, cool," so so what about what about the private money lender thing? Oh, well, my other job, which is my favorite thing to do, is I like to find money to fund those deals. And how I do that is with private money lenders. And those are people that have money to do stuff with. They just don't know what to do with the money. And typically those are professional people who are so busy that they don't have time to go learn all the stuff that I've learned because I've basically invested well over $100,000 into my education. And they're like, oh, you know, you know, when you talk about going to university, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How much you invested in that? A lot of money, and most people never get that money back out of it because they did, you know, gender studies or some stupid crap like that, and <laughs> and, and so they don't ever get to have a job. Gender studies, and so so then I talk about that, and then then I say, so what I do is I talk to people about lending money to us so that we can do a deal, and then they start asking questions about that, and I let them tell me where they want to go with it by answer, by asking the questions. And, and one of the things that I like to say is, um, as we talk about it, I say, do you know someone who would be interested in lending me money to do a real estate deal? I never ask them, would you be interested? Because that's pulling them towards me. And what do we tend to do when people pull, pull us towards them? Push. Right. Can I help you find anything today? No, I'm good. I'm just looking. Right. Right. So yeah. what I do is I say, do you happen to know anybody who does a who's doing really good, who would be interested in lending and having a really good return on their money. And then he shut up and yeah. let him, let him. Yeah. Think. And they say, well, my uncle, blah, 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 is a lawyer. Great. Why don't you give me his number? And if he lets me lend to you, I'll take you out to dinner. Now one in one caveat, and you may do this, but one caveat I want to add to that is you want to say, who do you know? Not do you know? Because sure. it, yeah. then, then the do you know becomes a yes or no question, and they right. can say no to that. That's correct. Where if you say who do you know, there's no like definitive out to that. Like yep. you have to say something like, "Well, I know so and so and so and so." So that's like that's the whole sales one on one thing. Right? But, yeah, you don't give an e- like you you don't want to generally give e- you know yes easy or no yes or no questions. Yeah. You want to give open ended ones. Yep. Um, so sure. so what get okay? So let's say they're they are intrigued, and you have the hook in, and then. They're like, okay, what, is, what does that look like then? Sure. So then I say, well, typically what I do is, is uh, we have two options. You can either lend on the full deal or you can lend on the renovation. If you lend on the renovation, uh, then it's going to be less money, uh, but you'll be in second position. And then I find out if they're qualified investors or not. Because if they say, oh, okay, and they just gloss over that without asking any questions – a lot of times they may not be qualified because they don't even know what second position is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so I want to make sure that they go that they know what second position is, and if they if they're curious and they ask a question, well, what does second position mean? Well, what that means is is if we do a deal and I get a hard money lender, they're going to be in first position, like your bank would be if you borrowed a, money for a mortgage. Can you can you describe what a qualified lender would be or a qualified uh, private person money like lender? The, yeah, private money lender? What what does that mean? I will do that. <laughs> 
Okay. Oh, oh, you were getting there. Okay. I was getting there. Right. So as I talk to them, I'll and, just sit here and in the I corner. Find out, <laughs> you are in the corner. I am in the corner. <laughs> so as I talk to them, uh, and I and I find out. Uh, I, first of all, I want to find out if they're even qualified to lend to me. Okay, which is a way different mindset than most people go about. They're like, "Oh, I just need the money. I just need the money." No, I want to find out if you're qualified. And 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 what that means is, is are you going to lend me the money and not need it back next week? Because if you are, you're not qualified because that's not how it works. Are you going to be the person that lends me the money and then wants to go look at the project every week? Because if you are, you're not qualified lender for me. You, that's not how it works. Okay. Okay. So I set the ground rules. Set the rules, them. yeah. Here's the deal. You can lend to me if you want to go look at the project. No problem. You just give me a call. I'll meet you there. I'll walk you through it because we aren't covered for you for insurance. It's that simple, right? Because we're not. We're not going to cover some guy lending us money, but I'll be happy to walk through it anytime you want, okay? I'm not going to let you bother my drywaller. I'm not going to let you borrow my bother my electrician. You're going to talk to me, and we'll walk through it anytime you want. I don't care. Okay. Okay. So what I do is as I talk into them, they're like, and I say, and you have to be qualified. And, what, and, and they say, well, how do I qualify? Okay, so I'm pushing in the way. You have to be qualified. How do I qualify? First of all, you have to be able to lend at least $50,000. Okay, got it. And then second of all, I want to tell you right now, if you and I sit down to have a meeting to talk about how private money lending works, I'm not going to be asking you for money that day. As a matter of fact, you aren't even going to be able to lend me money that day if you want to because you have to be on the list with my other investors who get the opportunity to respond to anything that I give to them, okay? You would be one of those people, and I will tell you right now that it's not a, hey, can I ask you 20 or 30 questions? I'm gonna give you the all the information that you need to decide whether you're gonna lend or not. If you don't wanna lend, that's fine. I got five or six other guys that are happy to lend to me. Um, but you will have the opportunity to, and I will tell you that I usually fill those slots within a day or two. So if you have any questions, you need to ask me right away, whether it's text, email, or call me so that you can make your decision quick because it's not going to be around tomorrow. Creating that urgency. Right. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is I'm like, I'm not even going to let you lend to me when we sit down, which I'm pushing them away. I'm like, look, I don't even know if you're qualified. I don't know anything about you. I don't know if you can lend me 50 or 100,000 bucks and, and be smart about it. I don't know. So I'm, I'm pushing them away the whole time, right? And what that does is that once them, they, they want to pull closer. So they start asking a bunch of questions. And then all I say is, look, let's go have a cup of coffee. And, and, you, and this is one of the things where you want to gauge with people. Okay. Are they like us and, and they want to do an after-hours cocktail? Would they rather have coffee in the morning? Would they rather grab a quick lunch? And I usually give them an option. I'm saying, look, we can either have a cup of coffee or we can go out for adult beverages, whatever you want to do, and we'll talk about it for maybe a half hour, and then I'll see if you're qualified. And then once we and that, do that, And that's how you position it. Right. You say, I'll see if you're qualified. I'll see if you're qualified okay. to lend to me. All right. Okay. And then And then – they say, yeah. And so then we set up the appointment. And then once I go, I start talking to them exactly about how private money and lending works for us. And the whole time they're like, I really want to do this. And you're like, but you can't. And so you're pushing the way the whole time. And that way, when you do lock him in on a deal, 
there's no messing around. You, you, you get the money, they aren't bothering you. They aren't saying, Oh, what do we got to do? How, you know, what are your numbers? Blah, blah, blah. Cause these are my numbers. So once you're qualified, how are you structuring that deal? Like are, are, are you creating an LLC specifically for that new partner or how, how are you working that? So in order, you can have up to two investors in a deal without having to do uh, crazy stuff. And so typically a hard money lender will lend on the purchase price and then the private money lender will lend on the on the renovations. And then what you do is you set up, uh, uh, you just have a deed of trust for both. And then uh, you make them both additional insured on the property. That way they're covered. And that's a huge thing for people that are private money lenders. Hard money lenders will demand it, right? Private money lenders are like, I have no idea. So all of a sudden I'm telling them, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you an additional shirt on this property. So if in case it burns down, your money's safe. You don't have to call me and say, where's my money? You All you have to do is call the insurance company and say, the house burned down. I need my money back. And they're like, okay. Okay. <laughs>